We kicked off this series called Generosity a little over four weeks ago, and uh, I told you that it was intentional we did this at the beginning of the year. Because if we could apply some of the things that we're going to be taught, we believe that it would set 2018 uh, on the right trajectory course in your life as it pertained to your finances, as it pertained to your relationship, I mean, as it pertained to generosity, and as it pertained to even happiness. You do know that if you actually, science has studied the brain, and they know that there is actually a direct correlation and link with what happens chemically in the brain when you are generous and happiness. And so that's not even a Christian thing, but it is funny that God's the one that created us, and so you can do some of the research you know, along those lines. From a biblical standpoint, here's how we've defined generosity through this series. Generosity, at its core is a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, all that we are, or will ever become as a demonstration of God's love and a response to his grace. Uh, The motivation to be a cheerful giver, you might read about in scripture, the motivation to be a generous person is not self-will. It's not because I just want to be a better person. What will create long-lasting generosity in your life with your time, talents, and treasures that will affect your relationships with others is when you embrace Jesus, is when you embrace the cross, when you embrace what he has done for us, when you embrace God's grace for us, it compels us out of the generosity of our God to become generous people through the indwelling of a spirit and relationship with him. And so if you want to become more generous, get closer to Jesus, because you'll find Jesus is one of those generous people who ever lived. And as you grow in that relationship, it compels you, challenges you, even convicts you in a great way to become generous. Now, as we've looked at these last three weeks, we said three primary ways that will help us to become generous is week one was ownership. Is it really yours? Is it God's? Week two was priority, you know, with time, talents, and treasures. And then last week was on contentment. Now, I do need to let you know that last week I was corrected by a staff member uh, that I was wrong. And and I said, well, which part? Because that's happened, you know, from time to time. Uh, And they said, you know that time when you said you can't take it with you when you go? And I said, yeah. And they they said, you know the illustration used with the, that you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? I said, yeah. And then they sent me this picture. (laughs) So I was wrong. I have now seen... A U-Haul behind a hearse. Now, if you're wondering what in the world does that have to do with contentment, you missed last week. That week and all the weeks, you can listen online, and it will make a lot more sense to you. One last caveat before we jump in. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a perfect week to be here because this doesn't apply to you. What we're going to talk about today is only after you become a follower of Jesus Christ because so much of what Jesus talks about it's ratcheted up the commitment of what it means to follow him. So great, you get to sit back, kind of relax, and kind of laugh at your squirmy neighbor or family friend who brought you on this day. So as we kick off, let me ask you this. Think of all the things in your life that you measure or track. Think of the things in your life that you measure or track. Could be high school grades and report cards, right? You're measuring track. How am I doing? Uh, those of you uh, who are a little more in shape, you might be wearing something called a Fitbit, you know, you're tracking how many steps you get. Uh, Eric and Kenny got me into something called Strava, you know, this app that tra- tracks how many, you know, miles that you're running, how many yards, you know, or meters you're swimming and biking and the time and all that other kind of stuff that you're able to track. Those of you who are bakers, you know that you measure and you track the ingredients. Otherwise, one false step there and what was a beautiful, wonderful, delicious chocolate chip cookie now tastes like a chocolate chip mess, you know, not, uh, not pleasant at all. If you think about health, right? Health, they measure. When you take your blood, 
they send it to a lab that measures whether or not you're healthy based on different things like cholesterol and all that kind of stuff. Now, on a side note, you do realize that the number one killer in America still is heart disease. Uh, those of you who are, are golfers, let me talk to the males for just a second. Uh, you don't really care about your golf game when you're golfing with other males. You get to that tee box and you just care if you outdrive the person that you're hitting with. It can go left and go right. You can be like, hey, but I outdrove you, so that's all that really matters because you are measuring distance. Now, you do realize that when it comes to our spiritual health, the number one killer is also our heart. The number one killer is also our heart. So can we measure, can we measure generosity? I think we can. Uh, uh, Jesus gives us his answer to that passage, you know, that we're going to look at today. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 12. And we're going to try to answer this question. How do I measure generosity? Now, some of you like a scale at home don't want to get on it. And so you're like, I don't want to measure whether or not I kind of know where I'm at. I don't really want to look at that. And so like I said, it may not be pleasant, but it's going to be really good for us. In Luke chapter, or Mark chapter 12, verse 41, let me give you some background to this. This is the last week of Jesus' life. This is a Tuesday. He's going to die on the Friday. So this is the last few days. When you know that you're going to die, uh, if you were made aware of that, wouldn't you be even more intentional than usual? about what you're going to teach, what you're going to say, what you want to pass on, you know, to those who you're going to leave behind. Jesus knows he's going to pass away. And so he takes his disciples into a place called the temple. Now we've got a picture, you know, of the temple and which it would be like in Jesus' day. It's not a very large, you know, area because the uh, Jerusalem during the regular course of the year, the entire outskirts of Jerusalem would have been about 50,000 people. But this week, every year in the region, they would have swelled up to over a million people. So just a little bit of a population difference. Now, as you walk into the main doors, you enter into the court of the Gentiles and the court of women. You know, uh, what that would be is if you were a Gentile, non-Jewish, or you are a Jewish woman, that's where you would go to worship God. As you go into the, close to the the, the larger, you know, building that's there, it would be for male Jewish, you know, uh, folks. And then if you go inside, it'd be for the priests. And then you go into the inner sanctum, that'd be the Holy of Holies, and you'd find the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that you can read about in the Old Testament. The reason I bring this up is because where the pillars are, as you walk into the court of the Gentiles or the women, at in each one of these pillars, when you come in the side door, you come in the main door, there would be these offering places. It's where people, they would gather the offering. Now, the offering was taken into a container about yay big, about this high, and it was made of copper, Okay, that's all important because of what we're about to read right now. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. So did you notice something that's a little startling about this that should startle you as much as it does me? Jesus watched people give financially. That should cause some of us to pause, you know, for just a second. And what makes matters worse is that word watch in the Greek literally means to look with intent, to look with purpose. It was not a casual glance. He sat down and stared and he's watching as people are giving, you know, uh, their resources. And then it said, you notice that many rich people put in large amounts. Now, how do they know that he's, they're putting in large amounts. In their day and age, they don't have credit cards. They didn't even have a cash system. 
So the only way that you would know that people gave large amounts into the temple treasury by observing would be the sound the money would make because all they had was silver, gold, bronze, and some copper as it went into the buckets. So if we were to do this illustration today and use our buckets, we would need to use change. So as you're sitting there, you're like, how do you know how much people gave? Well, based on the sound and Jesus sitting there and watching, like, hey, somebody gives a hundred bucks, it would sound something like this. And they'd be like, okay, somebody gave about a hundred bucks. And then somebody else would say, well, well, that person gave a thousand bucks. What would that sound like? Whoa, they gave a lot. And they're like, man, those must be the rich people. No, the rich people, they were dropping 50 large. What does that sound like? You know, so you could tell by, you know, the pronouncement of what's taking place, how much was actually being given at the time. Then it says in verse 42, then a poor widow came and dropped in two small copper coins, or, you know, uh, 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 they would be worth less than a penny. And you can just imagine that this would be the sound that they would hear. That's it. That's all they would hear to know what was given at this time. Uh, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow is given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she poor she is, has given everything she's had to live on. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, again, I'm talking to you Jesus followers, then doesn't this feel a little strange to you? It feels a little out of character for Jesus. I mean, if you know this and study the scriptures and you know Jesus, he's always an advocate for the poor. He's always supporting those who are downtrodden, those who are marginalized, those that society rejects. He seems to rally around those people. So this seems strange because wouldn't it be more like Jesus' character when you're understanding who Jesus is, that that's when he would jump up and say, widow, of anybody who doesn't need to give, it's you. You keep this for yourself. God loves you. God blesses you. He sees the suffering you're going through. Just keep it. He doesn't say that. See, oftentimes we can learn as much from Jesus by what he doesn't say than what he does say. And notice also what, that he, what he doesn't say. This would be like the classic moment where Jesus would be like, <clears throat> attention, everyone, gather around. I've got a parable to share. And the parable would be something along, there's these rich people who came into the temple who gave. And they neglected the poor and the downtrodden, and they would be pointing at this one woman here. And you would at least even think, hey, rich people, quit giving to the temple. Just give directly to those who are in need. That's what you should give. Bypass the whole temple. Give to the poor. That's not what he says either. So it's a little kind of out of character, kind of what it it feels like. Or could it be because that's what we tend to do with one another? Uh, In other words, how easy it is for us to say to each other when we run across each other or we look at our own lives and we're struggling financially. And we say, you, you know what? You can't afford to give. Uh, don't do that now. I mean, I mean, Jesus sees your heart. He knows that's what's most important. But, but he didn't say that to the widow. Uh, or we would say, Jesus wouldn't want you to give when you're in such need. You got bills to pay. Uh, you got medical expenses. Uh, you got children to take care of for goodness sake. But does he say that? He doesn't. Could it be? that Jesus' perspective and care for that widow is greater than we can understand or fathom at first glance? Could it also be that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and subsequently us a lesson, a hard one, on generosity? And so you look at this passage, and it gives us some insight on how he measures 
generosity. How do I know if I'm being generous? And like I told you, this is going to be challenging. Based on my understanding of all of Scripture, as well as this specific passage, when it comes to financial generosity, it's a percentage and it's progressive. It's a percentage and it's progressive. So let me unpack that and hang with me if you could. God doesn't look at the amount we give, but the percentage it represents. That's what we learn, one of the things we learn from this passage. I mean, can you imagine the disciples' response to Jesus? Like, hey, Jesus, I know you're a carpenter, a rabbi, you're the son of God, but you're obviously not a financial person because those people gave way more than this poor widow. She gave absolutely nothing. And the issue was the disciples knew the amount. Jesus knew their income. And there's a big difference between the two. So when we look at being generous, sometimes we can be fooled by the gift, but Jesus knows what the percent is. So let me give you a couple illustrations of this. Over the course of a year, you know, you might find someone giving $3,000 over the course of a whole year. And at first that seems like a lot of money. Uh, and then you realize they, get, they make $30,000. Like, wow, they gave 10%. But then you see another somebody else and you read that they gave $6,500 in a year. But then you find out they make $90,000 in a year and that's actually 7.2%. Or wow, you get excited about people who give $25,000 in a year until you realize they make eight hundred grand a year, which is 3.1%. This widow gave two mites, two little copper coins. Her income, two little copper coins. She gave 100%, which is why Jesus points to her generosity. And he's referring again to something that God told the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 16, 17, it says, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And so it's not as much the amount as it is the percent that leads us on this track towards generosity, which begs the question, why is it harder to give when you make more? Because some of us have fallen into the trap to think, well, as soon as I make more, then I'll become more generous. And yet all the studies show that the opposite is actually the case. In fact, non-Christian, non-publication, New York Times in 2015 just decided to do a study of generosity at different segments of America. Here's what they found out in 2015. Those who made $25,000 or less gave an average of 4.2% of their income. Those who made $75,000 or more gave 2.7%. Now, the reason it's hard is actually quite simple. If you are giving $3,000 in a year, per se, over the course of the year, if you just kind of divide it up by days and weeks and months, it's a cup of coffee here and there. And you realize, well, yeah, I can't do a lot with $3,000 over the course of the year. Now, if you give $80,000 in a year, all of a sudden you pause. You're like, man, I could do a whole lot with 80 grand. I could do a lot of stuff with that. So the expectations, and one of the, one of the things that, uh, that you may have heard of, you might have heard of this guy named John D. Rockefeller, you know, kind of American icon. He said this, I would never have been able to tithe on the first million dollars I made if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. It's interesting to see that progression. So the expectations from God as we go through scripture is this word that we kind of come up with called tithing. Tithing. Generosity is actually more, which we'll get to in a second. Now, what is tithing? Tithing is 10%. But tithing, and again, I'm going to challenge some of you on this. 
Tithing is actually not giving. Tithing is returning. That's the biblical understanding. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, One-tenth a tithe of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. See, every time you see the word tithe, you'll notice that there's bring to or return back to God. Now, to work towards a tithe could be generous in your own life as you're trying to work towards that. But God says, once you get up to a tithe, you're actually not giving, you're returning because it belongs to him in the first place. What he says is that you give me 10%, I'm gonna let you steward over 90%, and there's a major reason why, which we'll get to, so hang on with me in just a second. Proverbs 3, 9, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. Now, this is the part where some of you start checking out. This is the part where you're like, ah, here's that money grab, here's that thing, here's that all oh, church wants my money. Hang with me. Because this is actually a blessing sermon more than you know if you hang to the end. But let me give you an illustration of what God's trying to tell us. Okay, this would be a good example of that. All right, really, really simple. This, folks, is $10. So what God is saying, he says, I want you to get into the habit to return to me. I, I own it all. I'm return to me just one-tenth of everything that I give to you. One-tenth, that you return that back to me. So he says, all right, out of $10 that you would take the first, that's what the scripture says, and say, here's the dollar, I'm going to give back to God, I get to keep nine. Now, when you look at this, you're like, yeah, that kind of seems pretty simple, pretty simplistic, but we have a hard time with this. But what's fascinating about this exact illustration is if you actually take it to our kids' area, because this is kind of a kid illustration. If you take it to our elementary area, in the elementary, you say, hey, guys, just so you know, all of this belongs to God. All of it belongs to God. Now, how much do you think God wants you to give back to him? You know what our kids say? $4, $8. God wants it all. And you're like, wow, there are some things we can learn from our kids. And then that's when you and I say, yeah, it sure is easy for them to give something that doesn't belong to them, right? You know, it's, it's not their money they're talking about until we realize it's not ours either. You know what I mean? That's, that's the key that God is saying there, that he would give back a first fruits to him, that is based on priority. Uh, now, the reason, you know, I, I mentioned that, let me give you another illustration of what God's saying here, because I think you'll get this, and this is going to sound a little weird, but stretch your mind with me and, and pretend that I am independently wealthy, okay? So somehow, you know, I'm independently wealthy, and I've got to be gone out of the country for about a year, and so I need my family taken care of as well as, well as my estates and the things that I oversee. So imagine I, take, I, I find three trusted loving, best friends of mine. And I say, you know what? I'm going to give you a job, but I need you to take care of my family. And so I choose Ryan Lingbloom. Ryan Lingbloom is one of the associate pastors, you know, on our staff. I choose Eric Svensson, who usually leads our worship team, you know, on Sunday mornings. And I choose Brad Pesnell, one of the kindest, loving community pastors that we have on staff. And I say, guys, I got to be gone. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you $10,000 a month to live on. Here's what I ask. The first of each month, did you take a thousand of that and give it to my family? Do you agree? Agree. So I go off, you know, my trip, call and check in my wife. After about three or six months, I actually specifically asked my wife, Carolina, hey, how's it going financially? Are you being taken care of? She goes, oh, let me just tell you. Ryan, he is so organized. He's got everything down to a T and it's all well that the, like at 9 a.m. on that first of every month, I get a thousand dollars delivered right into my hands. And I'm like, well, that's great. And he's done that every single month since you've been gone. 
I was like, that's awesome. How do you think I'm going to feel about Ryan? Well, that's really, really cool. I said, well, well, what about Eric? She goes, oh, Eric's going to surprise you a little bit. And I said, uh-oh. She goes, the first month, he gave me $1,000. The second month, the third month, he gave me $1,000. But here's what happened. On the fourth month, he gave me $1,500. And then on the fifth and sixth month, he gave me $2,000. How do you think I'm going to feel about Eric? Right? I'm like, yeah, he's taking care of my bride. And then I said, well, what about Brad? She says, well, we need to talk about Brad. So tell me about Brad. He said, well, that first month, he, he gave $1,000. It was a little, little few days late, but he gave $1,000. The second month, it was two weeks late, and he gave me $500, and I haven't heard from him since. What do you think I'm going to feel about Brad? You know, as along those lines. Do you understand that according to the Bible, that the bride of Christ is the church, according to Scripture? And the church is what he established through Peter and that he said he died for. That Jesus set the church, the people of God, as an instrument as his love and grace. So if you are God, wanting to take care of your bride, and it's your resources anyway, how would that make you feel based on the way that we're being generous? So you should hit us just a little bit. But then all of a sudden, Scripture becomes clear. Because those of you who study the Bible, then all of a sudden when you read in Malachi, it now makes sense. Because in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God says these surprising words to his kids, the nation of Israel. Will a mere mortal rob God? But you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God, of all people? God says, in tithes and offerings. In other words, they were focused on their life first, and whatever they had left over is what kind of went into the temple treasury. God says, no, no, no. This is not the way that we set it up. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he says, the only time in Scripture, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room to store it. Now, if you're a Bible scholar, you might have heard someone say that feels sort of, sort of feels legalistic, this whole tithe thing. Or feels like more of an Old Testament thing. In fact, Jesus never said anything about the tithe. The only problem be is that you'd be wrong. Because Jesus himself says in Matthew 23, 23, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now don't miss this. Jesus says, you should tithe. Yes but do not neglect the more important things. See, here's what I'm not saying. If, I'm, if you are not currently tithing, a, a huge step in your faith would be giving and working towards progressing towards a tithe. To start somewhere, just to jump in. But let me remind you that, and here's the part that starts to change. So if you've hung with me, congratulations, you made it through the hard part. Remember this, God wants your heart more than he wants your resources, but your resources are directly linked to your heart. Don't you forget what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So since we love illustrations, I have another one for you. Okay, here we are. Here's the heart. Here's your money. See, there's a link that attaches from your heart to your money. Where it goes, you go. Here's what we believe. We believe when I feel like giving, when I feel generous, when I feel, you know, like my heart is connected, then I will begin to give. Uh, it's got to be a cheerful thing. It can't be reluctantly. It's got to be something that God's calling me. You're exactly right in a certain cases, but that's not what the scripture says. 
The scripture says clearly that where you give, your heart follows. It's not this way. It's this way. Don't believe me? Start giving to something you never cared about and watch how you begin to care about that certain something. Happens all the time. A new hobby, a new interest, a new sport, a new activity that you never engaged in. And all of a sudden you start giving towards that and that heart follows along. So the reason that that's all important is that could it be with everything that we've talked about so far, could it be that the reason that God commanded the nation of Israel, the reason he says give to him, the reason he says to be a priority is because he knows that the direct link that it happens between our heart and our resources. And he says, I want your heart. So I'm asking you to give. He goes, because that's how I created you. And I want you to be aligned with me. Do you realize that doesn't happen with our time and our talents? We don't get upset or pinged in our heart. It's only when we're talking about resources. And God says, this is how much I love you. Could it be for some of us in the room that you might feel distant from God? Part of the reason you feel distant from God is because you're not giving where God wants you to give. And you're not following. Your heart is not being attentive and attuned to that. And so you're not seeing yourself grow in those ways. See, God will never fully have our hearts until our treasure starts heading towards him. It's amazing. And this is where you say, see, I knew it. God and the church want something from me. No, God wants something for you. He's loaded. He doesn't need your money, but he desires your heart. In fact, if you think this church is all about, you know, hey, we're doing this series, we get your money, that kind of stuff. It's going to sound funny, but here's what I encourage you. Go to a different church and just promise you'll give to them. It's not about us getting your money. It's about God wanting your heart but he knows the link between our resources. And as my faith expands, does the demonstration of my faith expand with it? Now, here's where it gets hard. That's not the hard part. Here's where it gets hard. Do you realize that generosity is giving more than is expected? So if you're giving, great. But understand that generosity is actually progressing beyond the tithe. That's what the Bible says. The, to progress beyond the tithe, the Bible calls an offering. Uh, let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, the apostle Paul is writing to a, a church, churches in a region. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. So since they're poor and being tested, they shouldn't have to give at all. But yet here's what they see. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. That was the tithe. And then to us, just as God wanted them to do. That's what they did. Amazing. Now, wouldn't that be cool in our worship services? Now's the time for giving. People are like, woo, yeah, best part of the service. That's what they were, they were at because it wasn't under reluctance. It wasn't under compulsion. It wasn't under guilt. It was because of the generosity that they had received. They were compelled to want to give. And that's what begins to happen in your life when you receive blessings and generosity in your life and you understand it's coming from God Almighty. You want to then be a generous person which is why you've heard about this gift of $500,000 from this family in our church. It's above and beyond tithes and offerings. Now, don't get caught up in the number. Well, $500,000, it's a matching gift. They've seen in their lives what has taken place and they want to be generous and they want to challenge our hearts to be generous as well, up to $500,000. 
And so it's not about the amount. It's about saying, yeah, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be a part of my heart being attuned to him. And you and I cannot outgive God. It's just absolutely amazing when we begin to prioritize him more and more and more. And this is what's true in my own life. I've been wrestling with some crazy thoughts. Now, one of those has been, how much is enough enough in America today? How much is enough where, where Caroline and I are going to cap our income, regardless of what that number is, and then the rest we give it away? Why not? What, what, what would be the reason behind that? I mean, we were even tested with this this last week. Well, we got this random email in the mail from a friend you know, who uh, houses mission uh, work, and missionaries who come to the United States, but they were struggling through some financial situation. And I said, Carolina, I think we should give to this. And she was right to ask me. She was like, where are the resources going to come from? I said, I have no idea. I said, but we should do it. And then she read that morning something that was pinging in her heart. She goes, no, Dan, I was reading about this woman and their family that every year they gave one more percent. One more percent. They're up to like 30% now. She said, what if we could do that? I was like, why not? I said, let's do that. Has God ever let us down? Has he ever not been there accordingly? See, progress beyond what's expected of you when you will not only be generous, but you'll experience blessing and generosity in your life. Here's what comes back to you. This is what the Bible says in Luke 6, 38. Give and you will receive. That's what he's talking about. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will be determined the amount you get back. That may or may not have to do with financial blessing. But we do know that our God is a generous God. And we've seen that time and time again, not just by the cross, but in our lives as well. And oftentimes we want to hold on to like, no, no, you actually receive the blessing when you open and you begin to give and he gives back to us. And the coolest part, is that when we, become, when we become generous, all of a sudden we get the blessing and we're able to bless God, we're able to bless the work and his kingdom that he's doing. Many of you gave on Christmas Eve. Over $90,000 came in and I wanna show you another example of what happens when we give and how he uses that to bless other people and the work that he's doing. So go ahead and watch the screen with me now. Hey everybody, my name is Aaron with The Jonah Project. I just wanted to thank you so much for investing this year in what we do, uh, investing in your community. And what we do is relocation and rescue for women and children that are victims of trauma, specifically trafficking and some, uh, sexual and domestic abuse. We work with schools and other community members um, and we try to be proactive, which means we provide shelter and advocacy for youngsters um, in situations where they're at risk and we also provide services and access to resources for women and children that have uh, been victims and are now on the other side and hopefully moving towards healing. And you're a big part of that. In fact, everything that we do is about bringing freedom. That's what Christ said he came to do is for freedom's sake. So we want to thank you so much for being Jesus followers and investing your hearts, your time, your resources in the Jonah Project. On behalf of Valley Real Life, we are thrilled to present your organization, The Jonah Project, with $17,800 um, to bless your ministry and just partner with what God is doing in and through you guys. And we could not be more um, humbled and honored just to, to um, be blessing your organization with this. Here's what I know about you because I know about me. If you gave it all on Christmas Eve, it's directly related to what God is doing there. 
That's what's awesome about it. That's part of the blessing. That's part of the kingdom idea. It's part of the expansion. You're like, man, I've received a blessing just by watching their faces. I mean, how, how true it is when, when the Lord Jesus says, more blessed to give than it is to receive. So God wants something for you more than he wants something from you. So as we wrap up today in this entire sermon series, to what extent is God calling you to be generous? We've talked about ownership, talked about priority, we've talked about contentment, and now we've talked about progress. What step specifically will you take to progress in generosity? So you have a time to reflect, and we're going to give you a little bit more time today. We're going to extend our worship time together just a little bit longer, not in terms of the amount of time, but where we're singing and how much we're going to sing these next few moments. While we do, some of you, the first step to generosity is to give of yourself. Christ gave it all and said, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. Maybe for some of you that's to get baptized into his name. That's the next step for you. For the rest of us, as we sing these songs, my prayer is it doesn't just come from our mouths. It comes from our hearts, through our mouths, to a holy God. That's why we're here to worship him. Will you stand with me as we sing to him?